Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back at the beach here for the 125th, count them, 125 uh, Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Zoom calls. Uh, we've got 25 folks with us. We have an absolutely packed agenda today. Um, uh, it is a beautiful sunny day, not raining in Los Angeles, but we are going to start uh, uh, with uh, Jill Stein and um, um, uh, Ray, Ray McClendon from uh, uh, Ray is the uh, political director of the Georgia NAACP, and Jill was the uh, 2016 presidential candidate for uh, the Green Party, and she's being hammered by the Federal Election Commission. We're basically trying to take away her house, which is absolutely outrageous, and <laughs> it's stuff we need to know. We are, of course, launching our um, uh, uh, grassroots uh, uh, Alliance for Grassroots Democracy and uh, we're wanting to raise money for grassroots campaigning. And this assault by the Federal Election Commission on the former candidate for president from the Green Party is very significant. She's not on with us yet, but she will be soon, as will Ray, be Ray McClendon. We want to welcome back Joel Siegel. Joel, great to be, have you with us. And uh, Dennis Bernstein, the host of the uh, uh, fabulous Flashpoint show on KPFA, uh, uh, being rebroadcast all over the country. Uh, it, it's great to have you with us, Dennis. Um, we are gonna then talk about, um, um, <clears throat> uh, Cynthia Papermaster can join us, make a, 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 a announcement of a rally in San Francisco upcoming, a big one. Uh, then we're gonna talk about the F word, uh, the F word being uh, fascism. Uh, we got some feedback last week. People were uncomfortable. Some people were uncomfortable using the term fascism. And we want to discuss that. Tom Hartman had a great commentary <clears throat> about uh, the F word, uh, whether it's usable, whether it alienates people, and whether or whether in fact it's accurate. So uh, we want to we want to have that discussion in the second hour. Uh, we're going to be joined by the great uh, Rabbi Arthur Waskow, uh, who is doing some really great breakthrough work uh, uh, linking religion to the environment and vice versa. He's an old timer. He's been with us for a long, long time. Really interesting, charismatic guy. And uh, Wendy Lederman, who's just joined, it, has joined us, has brought him in. Uh, Wendy, in, you're in Florida. I think you can do a better background than uh, your, your window with plants on it. We'd like to see you at the beach or in the forest or maybe running away from an alligator or something like that. To, <laughs> they say uh, to zigzag if you are. You know, yeah, I, I yeah, try. Remember <laughs> that. Everybody remember this. If you're ever chased by an alligator or a crocodile, you will not outrun that animal if you go straight. But alligators and crocodiles can't go sideways. So if you're being, you know, I'm sure when you're going to walk out your door and you're going to be chased by an alligator, so you got to zigzag. Remember that. But and when I think of when I think of zigzag, I think of something else, though. So. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> uh, the other thing about alligators that people don't know, and this is why this is why we why people can wrestle alligators. Do you know this? Alligators have incredibly strong jaws when they're clamping down, but they're very weak when they're trying to open their mouths. So if you're ever, you know, as I'm sure will happen to all of you at some point in your life, if you're ever swimming around and an alligator attacks you hold its jaws together and and you may be able to get out of it. Okay, I'm sure you you expected to hear that on this. Uh, uh, we and in the second hour, we're also uh, maybe get an update on Peru, but Cindy, I mean, uh, Wendy has uh, tremendous announcements about what's going on in Florida, which is about water, which is truly powerful and important. So, <clears throat> and Sluggo, we do have Ray McClendon with us. Yes, so Ray, uh, welcome Ray. And um, Ray is gonna talk to us, of course, about Florida and the fact that the uh, Georgia football team is about to enter the NFL. Um, uh, but um, I do want, uh, first we're gonna start, so I don't lose track. Cynthia Papermaster is with us from Code Pink. She's in Berkeley. You have a rally coming up. Uh, why don't you tell us about it real quick? 
You're muted. I got to unmute you there. Somebody said, okay, there you go. I think I'm unmuted now. Yeah, you're good now. Good, go ahead. Hello, everybody. Uh, yeah, Barbie, I mean, Sago uh, says I'm in Berkeley. It's true. Um, and I am with Code Pink. That's true as well. Um, so have people heard about the rage against the war machine? Somebody's got something in the background, Cynthia. It might be you. Uh, you got to mute. Somebody has to mute somewhere. Okay, there. No? Um, all right, go ahead. Try now. Okay. Yes, that's better. Go ahead. Okay, great, great. Thank you. And thanks, uh, Sluggo, for letting me come in here. Um, there's something called Rage Against the War Machine. It's a, get this, it's a partnership between the People's Party and the Libertarian Party and other groups like World Beyond War. And uh, there's a whole bunch of different groups that are doing it together. The speakers include people like Chris Hedges, Dennis Kucinich. Um, uh, you know, I'm drawing a blank right now, but if you go to Rage Against the War, you'll um, Kelsey see- Gabbard. Kelsey Gabbard's been added, that's right. Wow. Um, uh, well, <laughs> the speaker list is just incredible. You'll be so incredibly amazed. And they are raging against the war machine at the Lincoln Memorial on the 19th. And then they're marching to the White House to deliver their demands to who they're calling the war, the warmonger in chief, Joe Biden. Uh, we are doing a sister rally here in San Francisco. And I just want to invite anybody who's in Northern California to join us for our rally. We don't have a White House here, but we have here in San Francisco the uh, chief financier of the war machine and we're raging against the war machine. So I don't know if you could follow me here, but who is the chief financier of the war machine who lives in San Francisco? Thank you. <laughs> so who would that be? Anybody? No, who is it? Oh, Sluggo. <laughs> no, well, Nancy Pelosi, of course. Nancy Pelosi is the representative of San Francisco in Congress. And until recently, she was speaker of the house. And for the last 30 years, she has signed every check that the Pentagon and the White House asked her to sign to fund weapons, endlessly fund war. And so uh, we're gonna end up at her house, but the rally is wonderful. We have entertainers, we have speakers, we have children's activities, we have cupcakes, we have dogs. There's a whole <laughs> contingent of dogs in our march. So it's a kind what, of- What time is this rally and where? It's at, it's at noon in San Francisco at the Embarcadero Plaza, which is right across from the ferry building. We're gonna march to a, war machine village that we're creating in the financial district. It's only about four blocks away. And all these contingents will be walking along. We're going to be there about an hour. And then we're taking a flatbed truck and a car caravan up to Nancy Pelosi's house for a tea party. And one of the features of our event is a duck and cover drill. A duck and cover drill is something that you have to start practicing right away. And we're going to practice that three times during our event. Does anybody remember duck and cover? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Bert the Turtle is leading us in a duck and cover drill. We're gonna have a mass duck and cover drill. If you don't practice your duck to cover, you may not survive a nuclear war. So get ready, practice it. Um, you can come with us. We're gonna, sh we'll show you how to do it. And um, yeah, anything else? Any other questions? <laughs> oh, that's that's it, that's great. At Milo, Ma? I do have you a question, wanna... Cynthia. Welcome, Jill Stein is here. Oh, Jill Stein, nice to see oh, you. Great. Just a quick question. If that's okay. Yeah. Uh, you know that uh, Roots Action did a, an analysis of Tulsi Gabbard's um, vote on funding the war machine when she was in Congress, and she did not have a good record. And, uh, you know, she purports to be for peace, but she's really pretty uh, Islamophobic and... Um, Okay, hey, I'd like to respond really quickly, if I may. Okay. Jill Stein is on the speaker's platform in Washington, well, D.C. Yeah, no, I'm talking about Tulsi Gabbard. I know you are. Okay. I know you are. Okay. I know you are. But I just want to say. If I could just quickly really talk about this. Hang, hang, on, hang on a second, Kevin. I just want to respond one second to what well, my I understand, Cynthia, but I'd like you to come in after I say what I say. There are going to be oh. libertarians there, which many progressives disagree with vehemently on a lot of things. But uh -huh. if you only organize with people who agree with you on anything, mm -hmm. you're not an organizer, you're just a lone person. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we're trying to build a large um, coalition to be effective. We're not here to kind of 
you know, um, check everybody's credentials. But Myla, you are right. But we don't ahead, we only work with people that yeah already agree with you don't grow the movement. Of course, but she is a hawk and doves feathers, and, well, and I just want to be. I was about that. to respond to you, Milo, because I think it's a really important thing. Um, we need to work across all ideologies right now to prevent a nuclear war. A nuclear war. I mean, I don't know about you, but a nuclear war is a bigger deal to me than being on a platform with a libertarian or even a Larouche person. So. If we don't stop the nuclear war that's coming and the war with China that they're trying to gin up, then we better start practicing our duck and cover right away. We all agree on that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Problem. All right. We got something we all agree on. That's wonderful. Uh, thank you so much, Win, uh, uh, Cindy, uh, Cynthia. Uh, the rally again is. Uh, it, what? Give us the date and time. Yeah, it's Sunday, February 19 at noon at the Embarcadero Plaza, which is right next to the Ferry Building in San Francisco. And we're going to get a thousand people out there. And I'm so glad to see you, Jill, because you're going to be speaking at the D.C. rally. And right. you don't so, mind being on a platform with libertarians, apparently. So there are, there are rallies all over the country on, on, the, right. on February 19th. Right? That's right. The San Francisco rally is called a sister event, and we're the most elaborate and fun and hopefully strategic sister event because we're going to have try to get a thousand people out there are there, are there rallies so in, fun bring your dogs is bring there your a dogs. rally in uh in, in la there's a rally in la there's one in seattle there's one they're popping up all over the place all right so you invited me to san francisco but i should go to the one in los angeles no no you should come to san francisco <laughs> all right, well, all right we'll don't you want to have dinner with us don't you yeah. want to you know oh, i do i forgot about that okay yeah. well okay so wonderful that there's pie there's pie involved <laughs> uh, you and if, you're, if you're going to San Francisco, remember to wear flowers in your hair. I do. Oh, you know, uh, you you raised something. I went to a, a, a nightclub last night. I was invited, uh, uh, owned by Herb Alpert, and a woman sang, who was the lead singer in Hair in 1968 on Broadway, and I saw her there. I I saw this woman sing in in the production of Hair in New York City in 1968. And then I saw her again last night in um, in, in uh, LA, it was quite amazing. Okay, uh, thank you, Cynthia, for that. Uh, I do want to say something else we all agree on, which is Bonnie Raitt is absolutely magnificent. She won last night. Um, I will tell you, she was born November 8th, 1949. You can do the math. Uh, just uh, after Dennis Bernstein was born, and um, uh, she won her 11th Grammy. Uh, I, I raise this, I've known Bonnie since 1948, uh, 1948, 1978. Uh, we met in, in South Dakota at a no nukes thing. And uh, everything great that you can imagine about Bonnie Raitt is true. She's an incredible human being. And she won the, and it was unexpected by everybody except me because I listened to this song. And if you want to know why Bonnie Raitt won the Grammy for the songwriter of the best song, listen to the song. It's called Just Like That. It is an astounding, astounding piece of work. I wrote a piece about it. It's up at Reader Supported News. I sent many of you the link. But she wrote two songs this year. One was is called Just Like That, a totally mind-boggling song, four minutes absolutely listen to it. And she wrote another one called Down the Hall. What, just like that is about a heart transplant. I won't say more than that. Down the Hall is about a, a person who's working in a prison hospice. And these two songs are absolutely mind boggling. So go to Reader Supported News. Steve, if you have the link, if you can put it up, read my piece about it, but then listen to the two songs and you'll wonder why you, you won't, you, you'll know why she won the award. It's mind-boggling. And Bonnie Raitt, again, we are in awe of you. You are just a magnificent human being. Uh, uh, absolutely honest, honorable, committed, um, uh, generous, just an amazing human being. So thank you, Bonnie, and, and Mazel Tov on, on winning the, the, this award. More than deserved, believe me. Okay, um, we also, I'm gonna avoid talking about flag football, we'll, we'll push it, put it to later because if we get going, we'll never end. But I did watch the flag football from the NFL 
on the weekend. It was really beautiful to watch. And ours is the first mass call to demand that the NFL go to flag football. And if you look at the flag football that they played over the weekend, you'll see why. I'll just leave it at that because once we get going, we'll never stop. So we have with us today uh, Jill Stein and also Ray McClendon. Now, Jill Stein was the duly nominated presidential candidate for the Green Party in 2016. And she ran an admirable campaign. And unlike the Hillary Clinton campaign, she was willing to go in. I don't know if Bob Fetrakis has joined us, but Bob was one of the lawyers. And she went into Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan demanding recounts. And before uh, Trump polluted the whole thing, um, <laughs> we, we had a campaign that demanded, rightfully demanded recounts. And Jill was the only one. Hillary Clinton was not willing to do it. And in fact, Jill won a, a decision from a judge in Michigan to do a recount in Michigan. And, and, and it didn't happen because the Clinton campaign wouldn't sign on. Absolutely outrageous. But far worse now, Jill has been pursued by the Federal Election Commission. Basically, they're trying to take her house. And this is of extreme importance to all of us who, are, who want to do grassroots campaigning because the FEC has clearly gotten involved here in a prosecutorial prosecutu, uh, manner, uh, which is very, very dangerous and has a lot uh, to, that we need to worry about when we're doing grassroots campaigning. So Jill Stein, I'll, I'll give it to you and then we'll go to Ray McClendon. But what you've got to talk about is incredibly important. So go ahead, please. Great. And it's really an honor to be here. It's great to see you all again. Um, wonderful to be with you, Harvey. Thank you so much for having a moment here to share my battle with the Federal Election Commission. Um, I would love to tell you about that, but also what it says uh, about the larger role of the Federal Election Commission in our elections, which is not uh, this, the, you know, the great stuff that is touted about the Federal Election Commission. It's actually not what you think it is. Uh, and we'll go into that. But first, um, let me just tell you about my battle with the FEC, which was really quite an eye opener. So as the 2016 campaign uh, concluded, and then we went into the recount, the first thing that happened was that uh, um, the Senate Intelligence Committee started investigating our campaign and also the recount as being supposedly tools of Russian uh, disinformation, you know, that all this business about uh, questioning our uh, vote counts, insisting on uh, hand-counted paper ballots, really, as the, uh, as the real gold standard for our elections. All that is, you know, just a Russian uh, propaganda campaign to undermine faith in our elections, you know, in the same way that uh, discontent over police brutality is a Russian disinformation campaign. And we've seen all of that collapsing recently uh, on many fronts, but including most recently with the revelations around uh, what Twitter found out, uh, uh, conducted by Matt Taibbi, and really the brilliant work that's going on there that's dismantling this whole uh, um, Russiagate business. But we were targeted by Russiagate, including the recount, and that tied me up for actually three years that I was being investigated. I finally got a complete exoneration in their fifth report, but the same week that that wound up, Suddenly, I got notified by the Federal Election Commission that they were coming after our campaign for $175,000 in public funding that uh, they insisted the campaign repay. Now, this was like five years after the campaign uh, had concluded. So there was no campaign to, you know, to, um, to either contest that or uh, to potentially pay it if the fine went through. So in that case, it comes back to the candidate. So this is like a really uh, suppressive, repressive- Wait, wait, Joe, they, they're holding you personally liable. Is that right? That's right. We have challenged- They're not the just court. going after the Green Party. They're going after you personally. 
That's right. Me as the candidate and our candidate committee. But our candidate committee, you know, really had effectively shut down. There was no candidate committee. There were no resources five years after the election. And because the Federal Election Commission had lost quorum, so they had sort of gone into recess for about a year and a half, and then they had a big backlog, so it took a long time for them to um, come back uh, to basically reschedule us again. So we were we were on hold for years without any uh, notice as to whether this was going to go on for a month or two months or six months or a year or whatever. So we had basically spent down our resources, which were also spent down fighting the Senate Intelligence Committee, which cost us a huge amount of money in lawyer fees. So there was nothing there. And then in that case, it defaults to the candidate. So, you know, what does this do to grassroots political opposition? So I want to just explain a little bit about the background here and about how basically it 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 is a symptom that the Federal Election Commission is, uh, it consists of three representatives of each major party. And that's how it's ruled on behalf of the political establishment. And it is very much ruled uh, to the disadvantage of grassroots candidates, of independents or small parties, or people who are challenging the system who don't have big fundraising machines behind that. So, um, you know, this is basically the, essential scope of the struggle. It's on fair matching funds uh, for grassroots candidates, for the candidates outside of the parties of war and Wall Street. And that public funding, as you may know, is really critical for giving voters people-powered choices and allowing us to get on the ballot so that people then have those choices. Otherwise, alternatives, real grassroots alternatives are basically shut out of contention. Uh, that is voices for working people, for peace, for emergency climate action, for Medicare for all, for ending police brutality. You know, all the grassroots issues are basically shut down by the two major parties. Um, and so specifically, we are fighting this draconian demand that I personally repay $175,000 in matching funds, six years after the fact, we're supposed to like raise that money. Um, and they're, they're basically saying we have to repay not all of the matching funds, but all of the matching funds that came after uh, our uh, nominating convention. And this is where the rules get really tricky and uh, counterintuitive. And I won't bore you with the volumes that have been written about this, but it's an extremely obscure and kind of uh, counterintuitive rule that even the lawyers, even the FEC lawyers can't really figure out. <laughs> and so if you are a small grassroots campaign, you can get really blindsided by this and many other FEC rules. It's not written these rules are not written for your benefit. They are written really to protect the, um, the powers that be. And especially if you don't have in-house uh, corporate lawyers, it's very hard to figure this stuff out. And here's the ringer. We, were, uh, we went through this in 2012 when we also ran a presidential campaign. And at that time, the FEC covered all of our ballot access drives. They were all covered by public funding, no questions asked. So we understood that to basically be the rule because the Federal Election Commission defines the primary for which primary matching funds are used. They're used for the primary. They're used to get on the ballot. The Federal Election Commission defines the primary for small parties as getting on the ballot. It defines the primary as the act of conducting um, uh, petition drives in order to get a line on the ballot in all the different states. So that's how it had worked with our first campaign. And we understood that to be the way it worked. And lo and behold, we discovered really two years later after the election that no, the FEC decided it would not cover everything that followed the nominating convention. If you're a small party, the nominating convention has nothing to do with getting on the ballot. Um, it just happens to be the nomination. But then if you're a small party candidate, you then still after the nomination, 
you still have to spend a lot of money uh, to get on the ballot. The nomination has nothing to do with ballot access. Unlike if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you get the nomination, you're done. So the FEC and its wisdom applies kind of the Democrat Republican framework to small parties and says, well, we're not going to cover you either after your primary, even though it has after your nominating convention, even though that convention has nothing to do with ballot access. So that's why we got hit. So we have, Joel Siegel, if you'll talk to us after uh, uh, Ray McClendon about this, because you were in the Congress, um, <clears throat> this is <clears throat> this is basically an assault on the Green Party by a federal election commission that's controlled by the two mainstream parties. And you are being, I mean, it's astounding. You ran for president as the nominee yes. of a third party. The, 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 the party raised its money, spent it on the campaign. You spent some money also. You raised separately, as I recall, you raised $7 million to do recounts in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And then the, the five, six, seven years later, the Federal Election Commission comes after you personally to pay back over $100,000? $175,000. This is mind-boggling. I mean, this yes. is really, really a, a vicious assault. Uh, it can only be, and these are Democrats who are doing this. Right. Primarily. And Republicans. It's it's both. Yes, it's both. It's three and three. And the vote was actually four to three on the FEC. Uh, they almost uh, gave us, you know, accepted our, our our interpretation and our explanation for what happened. We had a hearing that was postponed for years when we finally had this hearing. This was like at the end of uh, 2021. Um this is about the 2016 campaign, so it's five years later. Yes. And at that time, when we presented our case, we got, uh, we almost had a split decision. Had it been a split decision, then there would have been no action. But I think it was one Democrat, I think it was one Republican who crossed over to vote with the Democrats. I'm not sure. But this is the problem with the FEC. It is a partisan organization. And we know that when you're dealing with elections, things should not be bipartisan. They shouldn't be monopartisan. They should be nonpartisan. That the Federal Election Commission should be like a good redistricting commission, which should be nonpartisan or like a state or local election uh, board, which should also be nonpartisan. So lots of the FEC's decisions. And let me tell you, the suppression of small parties, which is what this is, is just a small part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that the FEC um, casts a blind eye to the corruption of super PACs and dark money and um, foreign money. Uh, it gives a pass to the big guys because those are the donors for the big parties who control the FEC. So the FEC does not do what it has to do to stop our elections from being totally bought out. You know, uh, dark money and anonymous money, so-called independent uh, expenditures, which is how the super PACs, you know, were allowed through the Supreme Court um, Citizens United decision. That has just taken the lid off of any control whatsoever on money and politics and the total buyout of our elections. And the FEC could say no to that. The FEC could demand that, um, uh, that basically there be full disclosures, which is what dark money gets around the requirement for. The FEC has the authority to stop dark money and to stop a lot of the super PAC money as well. And it won't do that because it is a partisan organization that does not want to stand up to the funders. Let me just give you one example. The FEC in the last year voted to allow foreign corporations to contribute unlimited amounts of money to referendum campaigns. Foreign corporations. And I can tell you about the case if you want to know. It's just horrifying. It was Montana. What is, what is the case? What was the, the case? The case was um, Montana Mining uh, uh, Association. Oh, that sounds and, like a people's organization. Yeah, exactly. They, they launched a referendum 
guess what? To block regulation of mining companies. Isn't that a great public referendum? To block any regulations to protect your water or your air or anything in relation to mining. And there was a foreign corporation uh, based out of Australia, which had a, um, uh, a, a, a derivative in Canada that thought, oh, Montana, you know, we might want to be doing some mining in Montana. We're in, we're in Canada. And they contributed some $250,000, something like that, to this referendum through the Mining Association. And that came to the attention of the FEC. And, and they, they refused. Well, basically what they decided, they were forced to make a decision uh, rather than just ignore it. And they decided that that's okay. That's okay because it's just a referendum, you know? Referendums aren't really elections. They don't really matter for our democracy. This was the decision of the bipartisan Federal Election Commission that this is okay. So I and that's a bipartisan that decision. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. The Green Party has no representation on the Federal Election Commission. Exactly, yes. And, right. and I'll tell you, Gary Johnson got hit in 2012. I got hit in 2016. He got hit in 2012 for an even larger amount of money. He was required to pay back all of his uh, money. And, and part of the problem here is that the rules are so arcane and obscure and counterintuitive, no one can figure them out. Back in the day when the big parties when their candidates used to run under public funding, remember there was a time Barack Obama was the first uh, Democrat to actually not run with public funding in the primary because he didn't want to accept limitations on his, on his spending. But prior to that, the big parties used to run under this too. They were also getting hit by these obscure rules that even they couldn't figure out. So I can give you some examples. Jimmy Carter, Al Sharpton, um, John Edwards, Ronald Reagan, uh, John Anderson, remember him? John Anderson, kind of the, the emblem of integrity in politics. Everybody was getting hit. But if you're getting hit in a big party that has a big fundraising machine, you can survive it. You know, it's, it's not a great way to run an organization, but that is an FEC. If nobody understands their rules, that's a real problem. But then in addition, if you don't have a big fundraising machine, you get wiped out by this. So if a big party gets a fine for $400,000 or has to make a repayment, no big deal. It's the cost of doing business. That's just, you know, that's just money lying around on the kitchen table. You know, this the system has become so addicted to big, huge money that they don't, you know, they don't blink an eye. This is like just normal. This is normalized for money in politics, which argues for not only do we need a nonpartisan FEC, we very much need a publicly funded system of elections. We need public funding. And this is just a case in point about micro... And here's the other thing, the FEC micromanages, they nickel and dime the small contributors. So we're reporting because we have to keep our campaign open six years after we have to keep raising money to pay our lawyers and pay the software system. You know, we pay huge um, uh, fees, monthly fees, just to be able to file our FEC reports. And uh, it's like, it's a it's a huge amount of money. And let's see, I lost where I was gonna go with that thought. Um, weaving in and out of many of the intricacies here. But the bottom line is that the FEC has this very complicated system. Oh yeah, I was making the point that they micromanage you. We're doing these reports still ongoing. They micromanage you about your 10, your five and $10 donors. But they completely look the other way when it comes to three and four and five million dollar contributions through super PACs and dark money. They don't care about that. They just care about nickeling and diming the small fry that are, uh, you know, that that constitutes grassroots politics. So, so we need changes here. This this is stuff we have to really pay attention to. That's why I wanted Ray to make sure get Ray and Joel on here and John Steiner 
we're going to be dealing with the nitty gritty of this. If we're going to run a, an organization that's going to funnel money to grassroots groups, we have to be aware of what we can expect from the FCC, from the FEC. Uh, Ray, does this uh, uh, resonate with you? Are you familiar with the kinds of stuff that Jill's talking about? Ray McClendon? Yeah. <clears throat> yes, uh, thanks, Harvey. <clears throat> and I just want to say this is, <clears throat> this is a tragic part of the way that our political process is being run now since Citizens United and the power of big money in politics today. And what we've got to do is transform that so that we get back to uh, democracy um, by the people. And so the, the movement that you are, are helping to create is exactly where we need to go going forward to put the power back in the hands of grassroots organizations. And that's what we want to push for is to get donors to understand the way to deal with this going forward is to work with the grassroots organizations and not just to try to transform the uh, Democratic Party or any particular party, but to transform the way that we connect with people through grassroots organizations. Yes, and so um, I don't know, Jill, if you have met Ray and vice versa, I think you know Joel Siegel, uh, but your horrible experience here is really has to inform how we go forward. We don't want to get blindsided raising money for the grassroots and then have the FCC swoop, FEC swoop down and, and, and scuttle the whole boat. So, uh, Ray, uh, you know, we, we need to be sharing, uh, and Joel, we need to be sharing Jill's unfortunate experience here. I mean, uh, they are coming after you personally. They have pierced the corporate veil as if it doesn't exist in terms of the Green Party. It's absolutely outrageous. I mean, it's beyond outrageous. It's, you know, the suppression, it's the two-party duopoly ganging up to kill off third parties. Uh, is, that, is that an accurate description? Um, in, in my opinion, the, uh, the FEC is structured in such a way as to systematically favor the big establishment parties and to systematically suppress uh, political opposition. Wow. Uh, Joel Siegel, do you want to comment on this, Joel? With your, no. Go ahead. Hi, Dr. Stein. Honored to meet you. Uh, likewise. Call me yeah. Jill. All right, uh, Joe. <clears throat> we need publicly financed elections, uh, period. Yes. That's it. And, right. Until we have publicly financed elections, um, especially like they have in other countries, then we're going to run this time and time again. And, um, but it, we need publicly financed elections, period. That's right. And it should be through a system that's sometimes called clean elections or um, clean money, clean elections. Uh, there are two states that have it now, Maine and Arizona. My home state of Massachusetts had it briefly, and then it was repealed by our progressive Democrats and all their wisdom on a voice vote. They repealed it after we had passed it by voter referendum. But it's a very simple system that doesn't require all this micromanaging. Uh, basically, once you qualify, and the rules are the same for everybody, if you qualify for public funding, then everybody gets the same amount of money. Um, and the system that you have now just requires that, you know, it's, it's a matching fund. It's a one-to-one -one matching fund. And once you qualify, it should be the same, but the way the FEC administers it, it's not. They cut you off if you're a small party based on uh, kind of um, just where dates happen to fall on the calendar. Based on those dates, we got cut off in 2016, but not in 2012. So, you know, it's, it's a crazy system. And we should just, like you're saying, Joel, put it all behind us. We need a system of publicly funded elections that apply to everybody equally. Maine and Arizona have very good experiences with it. And that's what we should be using. And in the meantime, there's so much that the FEC could do right now with one simple rule change. And that is changing it from a bipartisan organization with three Democrats and three Republicans to either nonpartisan across the board or more representative, where at least half of its members should be independents or, or small parties. It should not be 
you know, representative of the political establishment alone, because the political establishment relies on super PACs now and uh, and and dark money and all these conduits for for dirty money. And in elections that are highly contested now, more money comes in through these so-called independent uh, expenditures through dark money, through uh, super PACs. More is coming in through that than through everyday citizens who are uh, contributing small amounts compared to these hundred thousand and million dollar donations that are coming in through super PACs, which are, it's all about the oligarchy. Has the FEC gone after Bernie? And did the, did the um, uh, uh, maybe you know, Mike Hurst, that have we seen this kind of harassment? Um, I, I don't think so. I haven't seen Bernie come up in there. The powers that be are terrified of Bernie. Um, if you notice, they leave that most of that dirty work to the mainstream media mm -hmm. that basically lies about him constantly. But they try not to, they try to stay on his good side for two reasons. One is that they're afraid that he'll tell the truth about them. And the second thing is they want to get their hands on his email list. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Jeffrey, you have a hand up real quick, please. Jeffrey Barkdo. This is fascinating, Jill. I, I hope you'll join our Alliance for Grassroots Democracy so that we, we can draw on your knowledge and, and your this experience to preempt what, the, what we think the FEC uh, is probably going to try to do to any organization that funnels uh, money to grassroots groups. I mean, the Green Party is one thing, but uh, you know, funneling in a, in a completely nonpartisan way money directly to grassroots, we need to know if the FEC and, and Ray and, and Joel uh, and, and, and John, people who deal with raising money, take notice. This is serious stuff. We don't want to be blindsided like you were. I mean, the last thing anybody, I, I, I didn't know about this. Who, who knew that the, uh, that the FEC was going to come after the Green Party? It's outrageous. Um, we have 60 people on the call. Our listeners at Progressive Radio Network in New York, we're glad to have you with us. We are live streaming. Jill, and can I just say one final thing? If Please. you're interested in this, if you want to help us fight back, we are fighting back for all of us. This is about public funding and independent politics, having a fighting chance in this system that is just, uh, you know, in service of big money and oligarchy. If you want to help in the fight back, I'm at jillstein.net and you can see basically what's going on in the fight there. And I look forward to being a part of this bigger network to fight the bigger battles and, you know, lift up real grassroots democracy and give us a fighting chance in our elections. Well, you were a real hero, uh, still are in, in 2016. Um, you went into those three states, which were obviously stolen. I'm sorry, you know. Trump has like made it, but you you, you really showed with Bob Fetrakis, uh how bad the corruption was in those three states. And I will have to mention that you got pneumonia going into Michigan doing all that. So uh, uh, thank you for your, as they say, thank you for your service. Um, okay, very quickly, Jeffrey, Justin, and Wendy. Jeffrey, real quick, please. All righty. I speak it up. Speak it up, Bernie. What What did you think? What did you think of him overall, and uh, the and the other Green candidate for for twenty twenty, Howie Hawkins? Go ahead, you, Bill. You, what, you and Bernie, and you and Howie. Yeah. Um, let me say that the Green Party now has um, uh, a big debate going uh, about the war, <laughs> and Howie and I are on very different sides of that. And uh, we began to be on different sides of that around the time of the concocted Russia gate uh, smear against our campaign. So this is a moving target and I'm, I'm very concerned about that. Um, in terms of the 2020 election, um, you know, I had great hopes that Bernie might have the fortitude to, um, to walk away from the party that undermined him twice, you know, that stole the election from him twice, even according to establishment Democrats, uh, uh, Donna Brazil and and um, uh, what's her name, the uh, the senator uh, 
my own senator here from Massachusetts, you know, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren, you know, the election was rigged against him. It's more rigged over time. It's not less rigged. I feel like we need to make a break from the rigged system. Uh, we have little time left. And I'm also disappointed that Bernie has not managed to stand up and challenge the war machine. And the war machine is, um, is deadly. And we are all in the target hairs and the clock is ticking. So that's kind of informing my feeling right now that we really need to break the stranglehold of big money uh, through its mainstream political parties and those who are willing to play the game through it. It just doesn't work and we're out of time. Okay, and we're almost out of time, but uh, you're doing great. It's great to have you, Joe. You're really a wonderful person and a fabulous campaigner. Uh, Justin LeBlanc and then Wendy Niederman. Justin, real quick, please. Yep. Uh, so speaking of war machines, I feel like our elections are run a bit like uh, either uh, old school duels or uh, medieval jousting contests, right? It, it's always fighting for the honor of one or the other candidate. What about multi-member districts? Oh, totally. Do in that regard to get rivalries of wide range, right? Multiple candidates competing for attention, not just you know, one winner take all. Exactly. Our our legislative and congressional elections should be multi-member, so-called, sometimes it's called multi-member proportional representation, or sometimes it's called multi-member ranked choice voting. But there are solutions right here, which we are being denied and which the American public is being denied. Instead, we are taught to think that we have to vote for the candidate that we hate the least in order to avoid getting the candidate that we hate the most. And where does a kind of hate-driven election take us? You know, it takes us over the cliff, which is where we already are right now. This is absolutely, you know, it's like voters are being extorted by their worst fears, uh, by the by the major parties. And, you know, recently New York City voted to allow themselves, the Democrats, to vote through ranked choice voting, but not to allow it in the general election. You know, so in other words, they prevent vote splitting within their primaries, but not vote splitting in the general, which is, you know, we need to have not only the right to vote, we need the right to vote for who we want. If you're not voting for who you want, the right to vote doesn't mean a hell of a lot. So these solutions are within reach. In fact, they are standard practice for modern democracies. You know, we just have this antiquated system. Our system of kind of winner take all elections was one of the very first voting systems designed, I think it like goes back to around the Magna Carta. It goes way, way back, but now we live in a diverse society and through a ranked choice voting or a multi-member district proportional representation, um, it embraces diversity and it allows many voices to be heard and to contest and to all be represented. You know, to me, it is just, it is like, uh, it's like the nail in the coffin of an oligarchy run system of an oligarchy, you know, which is not a democracy because it smothers political competition. And if you don't have political competition, you don't have a democracy. And if you don't have many voices, you really, you're not a diverse society, but we are, you know, so we need to throw out this whole system. It's kind of a no brainer if it's allowed to come to public attention. And, you know, to me, exactly as you say, uh, this is a, a major part that and getting the big money out of our politics, breaking the stranglehold of big money, uh, could just be a complete revolution in not only our democracy, but then all of the policies that devolve from, you know, from, from our governance. Because right now, we have these colliding catastrophes right now. We have endless war, which is going nuclear, as the first speaker, uh, Cynthia, I believe, was saying uh, beautifully. We have uh, crushing inequality, racial, economic, labor, gender, you name it. Uh, it's really off the charts. And I highly recommend a recent um, uh, discussion by uh, Rich Richard Wolf about how 
inequality right now is just off the charts. And that is the driver of fascism, that when you have such profound and crushing economic inequality, you're going to get a fascist state. And we are in that economic state right now. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. And then you have the climate catastrophe. So, you know, people hardly know which way to turn. It's like you're in the intensive care unit and the patient, that's us, has multi-system failure, multi-organ failure. And you don't know which organ system to save first because they're all failing. You know, democracy is the master switch. So let's get that master switch back on board and the rest is going to solve itself. Well, I should have known, Joe, that you were going to be such a great presenter because we're almost through there. We're, we're going to have a wonderful discussion here about the use of the term fascism, but that's going to have to wait another week, um, which is fine. Um, uh, we do have uh, uh, um, from Florida, uh, Carolina was going to give us a quick report uh, once again with her psychedelic map of Miami behind her. Carolina, let's get to the questions and then we'll um, uh, get you uh, real quick because you should know Jill Stein and, uh, and, and we'll, so Wendy uh, Tatanka and then Carolina, please. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think that's actually a Kandinsky background. And I love that well, Carolina has that. Yeah. Um, and so um, I actually I've had my hand up because I wanted to make sure we got to introduce Jill and Carolina. Um, but I want to thank Jill for just everything you're saying and for your strength and your fortitude and what's doing this. No, thank you. I mean, like you really nailed it when you said that um, fear is extorting the voters. And what you're doing, what like everybody together here is, you know, we're moving that pendulum because I mean, it's a few years back. I mean, we would be vilified for saying that we want to vote for a progressive. And now it's like all this legislation is getting pushed through under the Democrats, but they have to appease the progressives because we're the main base. So just keep doing what you're doing. We so appreciate it. We can't wait to follow along and hear your progress and we have your back <laughs> like we have your support and I want to introduce you to my friend Carolina who just stepped down as the Florida Progressive Caucus um, chair and she's running for the Democratic state chair and I'll let her take it away thank you so much again appreciate you well we got to talk thank you Wendy we've got to talk his hand up and then uh, Carolina and uh, okay. you can be on the same page you should know Ray McClendon and Joel Siegel as well uh, along with John Steiner and everybody else on the call my buddy Dave Saltman is on the call. Go blue, David. And um, uh, go ahead, Tatanka. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jill, for all your amazing work and showing up again. And thank you, Harvey, for welcoming Jill back again. Um, so it's so important what you talk about. The latest corporate fascist, again, evolution of Citizen United was that came to my attention, uh, came to me last week, uncovered by Romero Institute, that Exxon has cut a deal with the government of Switzerland where they've set up a 501c3 where everything that isn't directly their extractive work, we're talking about their entire PR campaign, which created, you know, bought whole parts of universities, bought, quote, scientists to create the climate denial business. That's going to be legitimate 501c3 money, trillions of dollars. You can imagine everything that isn't directly for the extraction goes into the nonprofit for the propaganda and then shows up in the name of in our elections and then and and the organization the nonprofit that will give it to either the political parties or whatever will be greenwashed peace washed labor washed women rights washed racist washed we won't be able to tell where anything is coming from so and you know uh thank you wendy for sending on uh Josh's uh, report on Peru that in the uh, uh, a Rolling Stone magazine. That is really, really wonderful. So everything that's happening in Peru, you know, the buying of uh, mm -hmm. corporate fascist dictators to continue to support, you know, the extraction business, despite what everything we're doing. So I want to thank you for bringing it right home. And I love your quote about democracy is the master switch. Thanks. That's a good one. Yes, indeed. And we have Lorenzo Canizares with us as well. Uh, uh, if we can get to Lorenzo for a minute or two update on, uh, on Peru after Carolina uh, uh, meets uh, uh, Jill here. I feel like we're running a dating service. Uh, but um, <laughs> uh, at the top, I want to say goodbye to my PRN listeners. Um, if you, uh, you want to hear the rest of this, 
go to green, uh, uh, grassrootsep.org, grassrootsep.org or election protection 2024. Uh, we, are, we do record the whole session. We're not gonna break uh, like we have in the past. We're gonna keep going through because we are live streaming, but these are archived uh, at our website, grassrootsep.org. And, um, and you can, thanks to Steve and Mike, uh, you can pick up the rest of this um, uh, there. We have 62 people on the call with us. Uh, uh, go ahead, Carolina, and then Lorenzo, if you can do us a quick update from Peru, you being the, <laughs> the Peru guy, um, <laughs> we will do that. And then uh, we'll be at the top of the hour. Uh, Joe, it's been great to have you on and I hope you'll come again. Go ahead, Carolina, from Florida. Thank you. Hi, Jill. So good to meet you. And I am also a physician. I, I went to school in Mexico, but I'm originally from Ecuador. So I, I come from the labor movement. And as, as part of the labor movement, I was uh, you know, an adjunct professor teaching pre-medical classes. And during that process, we went through the through all of the unionizing of my college and then 12 additional colleges throughout the state. Oh, and that was a, a very great experience and eye-opener. And, you know, with the labor movement, you get to see a lot of what's going on and a lot of the injustices. And you want to be part of the solutions, which is, I think, what everyone in the labor movement gets, uh, that sense of commitment and solidarity. And, and knowing that your fight is not just the fight because you 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 are involved in it, but also because you're, you're fighting for your 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 friends and and your coworkers and and everyone else in the movement. So, I I am very actually <laughs> speechless actually about meeting you because I know that you have struggled a lot with with this with this process and and that you have not been treated fairly in in that process and this ties to where we are right now so i am the previous chair of the democratic progressive caucus of florida i stepped down because the issues that are facing our state are tremendous and and much wider than the scope that you can cover with the progressive caucus and i was mm -hmm. feeling that sense of urgency of getting involved to solve some of these things mm. and okay. we announced our campaign in on the 25th and so far we have not been covered by media at all mm -hmm. uh, and the party continues to have uh, discourses and and some some interviews even with the media and talking only about the three candidates when there's four so mm. i wanted to see if you have some suggestions on how to fight back on those things well, you should, you two should exchange uh, contacts and definitely work together because we need to expand the progressive coalition here. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and like I say, the Alliance for Grassroots Democracy, uh, Jill will need you on board with Ray and, and, and Joel and, and everybody else, Wendy, on the call so that we can uh, protect ourselves and know what's, what's going on with your experience here. We'll have Howie Hawkins back on too. Uh, but go ahead, uh, Jill, just if you'll, Meet Carolina, and then uh, Lorenzo comes out of the labor movement as well. And uh, we want to hear a quick report from Peru. So go ahead, please. So just two quick thoughts. One is, you know, thank you for bringing the vision and the integrity of the labor movement into greater view and and power. Because at the end of the day, you know, that's really the driver of things it's really the power of labor not only in our economy you know for you know productivity and all that but for political change at the end of the day it really is about labor and the power of labor and the recent denial of the right to strike to the uh, railroad workers um was huge and the railroad workers are ready to you know, to break. I mean, they are at the breaking point, but they're also ready to break politically and they're really ready to force the issue. And that's my second point, which takes inspiration from Frederick Douglass, that power concedes nothing without a demand. And you can demand from within until you can do it no more. And then you may have to demand from without. But I think the lesson here is not to shy away from your power. And sometimes you may have to explore other uh, context for asserting power. Because if you're, if you continue to be silenced, 
I mean, that's why I left the Democratic Party a long, long time ago around a clean elections fight here in Massachusetts. I was not a registered Democrat, but I always voted, voted Democrat. I had nothing to do with any alternative party. But when the Democrats basically uh, demolished campaign finance reform here in Massachusetts, which we had passed by a two to one margin, I said, that's it. I can't take it anymore. I'm just allergic to doing this. And, you know, everybody has a breaking point. And I think that's the words of Frederick Douglass that you have to push. And if you can't push from within, then you may have to push from without. It takes both. It takes a good cop and a bad cop, ideally. And um, I don't know how people have the uh, kind of the moral fiber to keep fighting inside of a system that keeps silencing you. Well, in, in that respect, also, we have, with, in terms of a struggle that's not getting any coverage, we have Lorenzo, uh, our Peru guy. Lorenzo, will you give us an update? You also come out of the labor movement uh, on, on the latest from Peru. Are you un, unmuted, Lorenzo? Yes, I am. Uh, okay, go ahead. Uh, you know, like they say in Italian, la lutta continua. Uh, mm -hmm. the, 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 the reality of the thing is that we are witnessing, we are witnessing, uh, if we are paying attention, we are witnessing a real grassroots revolution, yeah. a real grassroots revolution. Uh, it's a, a revolution of, uh, of the dispossess uh, of the... Of the, the... <laughs> Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden.